Gracious God, we thank you for renewing us in your love. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You all know that I often preach about love, but this is not some new fad or agenda. Consider that profound collect that our liturgy opened with. O Lord, you have taught us that without love, whatever we do is worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts your greatest gift, which is love, the true bond of peace and of all virtue, without which whoever lives is accounted dead before you. That prayer was written in 1549, so this is hardly a passing trend. Love really is what it's all about. But as I've said many times, though, that sort of love that we're talking about is more than a feeling. It's a priority, an orientation, a commitment, an action. If it is true that a picture is worth a thousand words, then the best description of love is a picture of Jesus on the cross. That is what love is all about. And more than love being something that we have to do, love is something that we receive. As we read in 1 John, we love because God first loved us. Love is something that we are given so that we can participate in it. Love is hard. And the grace of God is that we don't have to muster up love when it's not natural or easy or preferable. Instead, God loves us all abundantly. And in that abundance, we can join God. And so maybe loving our enemies and our neighbors just seems like more than we can do. But without question, we know that God loves our neighbors and our enemies. And so even if our loving them seems impossible, we can at least join the love that God already has for them. Because as the collect puts it, if we do not have love, we are essentially dead meaning that we are not living the life that God intends or desires for us. Without love, we are not living a good or true or beautiful life. And we are as good as dead if we are disconnected from the source of life, the God who is love. On these Sundays after the Epiphany, which are heading towards a close next Sunday, we've been considering what baptism means and does in the life of faith. And the aspect of baptism that I'm highlighting today is that baptism declares and cements our identity as the beloved of God. And to be very clear on this, baptism does not make God love us. God already loves everything that has been created. But baptism is when this love is declared for all to see and to know. But as I've said, being loved by God is not just about a nice feeling. It's not saying, oh, how nice it is that God thinks nice things about me. No, the fact that God loves us changes everything about us. But what exactly this love means can seem a little bit abstract. How can we be assured of God's love? What does love really look like? How does this love change us? These are good questions. And we need to do a better job asking questions. These days, people are looking for answers. And if we're honest about it, we've 
gotten to be intellectually lazy. That's why misinformation spreads so easily these days. People are satisfied with whatever answer they find, even if that answer is not remotely close to correct. But continuing to ask questions is a lot harder, because when we ask questions, we might get answers that we are not prepared for. Asking questions requires a sense of humility and admitting that we don't have all the answers, that we still don't understand everything. Asking questions takes a lot more energy because we have to tap into curiosity and exploration. More than being a place to come and be given answers, church is a place to ask the questions. And if we are being a faithful congregation, we're not going to give answers to anyone that walks through the door. Instead, our mission, our identity, our purpose and calling is to introduce people to the answer, Jesus Christ. Jesus does not give us the answers. He is the answer. And this is why faith can be so difficult. It's not as simple as, well, you need to think these three things and then you need to go do these four things. That would mean that we could check faith off the list and then just move on to whatever priorities we would rather have. Instead, the life of the baptized is one in which we are told, follow him. And following Jesus is the work of a lifetime. We can never say that we've finished following Jesus. This is why the earliest followers of Jesus were not called Christians. They were called members of the way. This is the way. The way of following Jesus in love. And as lovely as that can sound, it can be hard to figure out, but how do we really do that? So ask questions. Questions are why we have the passage that we heard from 1 Corinthians. St. Paul has been talking about the resurrection of Jesus, a topic that can make us scratch our heads and wonder exactly, how does that work? And so the people understandably had questions. Paul addresses those questions and he uses metaphors to try to help people understand and have a better grasp of this resurrection that they have been baptized into. Now, I absolutely love being a parish priest and particularly being the rector of St. Luke's. Without a question, this is what God would have me to be doing and where God would have me to be doing it. Like any job though, there are parts of it that are more enjoyable than others. The holiest part of what I do is being invited into hospital rooms when a family has welcomed a newborn or when a family is asking me to pray with their loved one near death. Holding babies and holding the hands of the dying is the part of my job that is the most profound. Celebrating the Eucharist is also a joy and a privilege that I could never effectively put into words. And something else that I truly love doing is meeting with you all to talk about faith, to explore the questions of faith and life together. Now, sometimes people will tell me, you know, I'd love to meet with you, but I know that you're so busy. And I want to reframe that reality. Yes, I'm busy. You're busy, we're all busy. But you asking me to have coffee and talk about faith is not adding to the burden of busyness. It's saving me from it. 
There is nothing that I would enjoy more than a schedule that is jam-packed with meetings at the coffee shop or the brewery to talk about questions of faith, to help you walk the life of faith, to learn more about what God is up to through your life. All this is to say, I know that you all have questions and want to talk, and there is no such thing as a question that is too complicated or too basic. I eagerly look forward to these conversations. So being inspired by this text from 1 Corinthians, know that you can always call on me for conversation and to ask the questions about faith that you have. Now in his pastoral response, St. Paul writes about the transformative nature of the resurrection that we're baptized into. He says that it is something like a seed. Imagine a little acorn. You don't imagine that it's going to turn into a massive oak tree. The resurrection is something like this, St. Paul says. Our bodies become something fuller and grander than we can imagine. All of our imperfections and frailties, all of our doubts and sins are reconciled by what St. Paul calls the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ, the human who perfected humanity and opened to us the way of everlasting life. In Jesus, God does not destroy humanity and say, oh, I guess I'm going to have to go in a different direction. Rather, God restores to humanity the glory and the love with which we were made. And this is the point of the resurrection, to definitively show in history that no death is so final and no sin so bad as to separate us from God's love. That is what we are baptized into. That is the love declared over us in baptism. And as we heard in this collect, this love is described as the true bond of peace. Jesus, in the passage that we heard, speaks about forgiveness and mercy. Another way of saying this all is that love reconciles us to God and to one another. Out of God's abundant grace and love towards us, we are made right with God. Now, we might not do all the right things. We might do all the wrong things. We might not keep the law. But in Jesus, God has assured us that the last Adam has taken care of everything that the first Adam and his descendants, which would be us, were unable to do. All are redeemed and all are reconciled in and by Jesus Christ. And this becomes our identity, who we are. We are reconciled. That is what love means and does, that there is nothing that separates us from God. As St. Paul puts it famously in Romans 8, For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that changes everything. If we no longer have to worry and obsess about our status, our salvation, our worth, our value, then we are free to live in God's peace and grace. In another New Testament letter, St. Paul writes, So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciled so that we can be a sign of God's reconciliation to the world. Now, we don't have time this morning to get into all of the wonderful nuances of this reading from Genesis that we had. But the short version is that Joseph was treated poorly by his brothers, to put it mildly. They faked his death and sold him into slavery. By God's providence, though, Joseph found himself as something like Pharaoh's secretary of state in Egypt. And when a famine arose in the region, Joseph's brothers headed to Egypt to try to find food for their families, completely unaware that their brother was still alive and that he had ascended to this place of prominence. And when Joseph has the chance to retaliate, to condemn, to lecture, to get revenge, he instead chooses reconciliation. The only reason why this is possible for Joseph, who had a gift of receiving God's revelation in dreams, is that Joseph knew something of the power of God to reconcile and redeem all things. Only because Joseph was confident in God's mercy was he able to be merciful. Brothers and sisters, we are resurrection people, people who have been brought into the new life of reconciliation of God in Christ. We know the future, that all shall be well. And this does not mean that we just get to sit back and relax and enjoy the ride. On the contrary, it means that we can live already knowing that things are well. Our knowledge of the future transforms the present. We are assured of our reconciliation with God and so we can show forth that reconciliation in our lives. In other words, we can forgive because we've been forgiven. We can stop keeping score because God doesn't keep score. We can remember that the most important and true thing about ourselves and everyone else that we meet is that we are all loved by God. Now, you don't need me to tell you this because it is obvious. But our society is fracturing. As a society and as individuals, we are unapologetic. We hold our grudges as if they were our most valuable possessions. We avoid conflict, which means that we avoid reconciliation. We are fractured and unreconciled. Love really is the way, and without this love, we have nothing. We need in our parish, in our homes, in our schools, in our city, nation, and world, Christians who know just how tenaciously, fiercely, and graciously God loves us. Confident of this love, we can ask any question and wrestle with any issue. Grounded in this love, we can grow in the resurrection which we are baptized into and be transformed into reconciled reconcilers. Because without love, we are accounted as dead before God. And so it is the joy of our faith this morning to thank God 
that through the love of Christ, we have been given life and life abundantly.